I'm looking at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 through 15. Now it was told King David saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. Say these words, because of the ark of God. Wow. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the house or to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he stopped and he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. These passages and this whole story of transferring the glory and moving the ark is so filled with depths of insights that are usually just glossed over in a casual reading of these passages. For example, David was wearing the linen ephod. It was unlawful for anyone other than the the priest to wear that. David's of the tribe of Judah. He's not of the tribe of Levi. And yet he is wearing this linen ephod as though he is one of the priests. And there are reasons for all of that. I might not get to explain them all in the message today or even in this series, but there are reasons. And you would think that with Uzzah having just been killed because of the the way, the, the, the careless way he handled the ark, he had put out his hand and he had attempted to steady it when it was about to fall off the back of that cart that David had them carry it on. And right over here, you have a replica of the ark. It was made by Scott, who handles a lot of the the props that we use in the series. And, And there you see the poles on either side. You were not allowed to touch that box because that box right there contained the tables of stone, Aaron's rod that budded, a walking stick, and that's what it meant. And then the, a pot of manna, a golden pot of manna. On top, you see the cherubim. And this is actually built to scale. Um, and when you see right between the cherubim, there was the flame of fire, the Shekinah of God. And this is where the priest would pour the blood when he would offer the yearly sacrifice at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And in all of those centuries of offering the sacrifices, Jewish scholars claim that not one time did the blood ever make it all the way to the lid at the top of this box. That lid was actually a separate item. It was called the mercy seat. But the Shekinah of God, the power of God, which hovered between the wings of the seraphim, it would consume the blood And the blood never made it to the mercy seat. Meaning simply this, that God was so desirous of hearing people's cry for mercy and help. And so anxious to help and so willing to help that the blood and the the short time it would take to fall from here to here because of the force of gravity. It didn't even get to make it because God consumed it. (laughs) That's how much God wants to help you. Amen. And the scripture goes on to say, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And everybody say this with me. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, say it, where there is liberty. I want to speak today 
the second part in this sermon series entitled Welcoming God into His New Dwelling Place. We'll continue uh, the series on transferring the glory and uh, I'll shift into talking about worship and how all of this correlates in terms of making sure that you have the glory of the Lord accompany you as an individual, be with you and your family, and also to accompany us as a church. And that's extremely important because as David has heard, the house of Obed-Edom has been blessed. And we'll talk about why the ark was at the house of Obed-Edom just to review those details. But that man and his entire family and the scripture makes the point that all that belonged to him was blessed because that thing was present. Now that's significant. Father, I thank you today because of your goodness. I thank you today because of your grace. How we long for your presence. We thank you for your presence. We desire to have your presence in our lives. In this church, we don't want to do church without you, Lord. We want you to be glorified and honored because that's why we were created. So speak to us today, I ask in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Last week, I concluded the message by talking about what happened when David first attempted to transfer the ark of the glory of God, the ark of God's presence from the house of Abinadab to Mount Zion. And it was at the house of Abinadab because The Philistines and Israel had been in war at Ebenezer, and Israel for generations now had lost their reverence for God. Basically, they took that ark as their lucky rabbit's foot, their talisman, their their good luck charm. And for years under Moses, when they went into battle, and under Joshua, they would march into battle, the priests would be carrying this, and I mean the presence of God would be on the battlefield and the enemy... The Bible said in one place it melted before them. I mean, you've seen the writers of the lost ark. I'm not sure if melted meant literally what happened as with Harrison Ford or they just melted away, you know, ran. But the bottom line is that presence of God turned things around. But once they settled in the land and there were no more battles to fight and everything was good, (laughs) then they forgot about God. So easy to get locked up in living life, you know, get engaged in the things we do and forget about the God who's blessed us and brought us to where we've been. They never would have been in the promised land had it not been for God. And so the Philistines began to take away parts of their territory and now was the time of a big decisive battle that would determine whether or not Israel would be subjected to their leadership, the leadership of their arch rivals and enemy. And so Israel brought this box out on the field and shouted, but because there was no relationship with the God that this box represented, God did not show up that day. And not only was Israel defeated, this was taken and put in the house of Dagon, one of the uh, principal deities of the Philistines in the city of Ashdod. And overnight, as you remember, Dagon collapsed on his face before this. Because you can't have any other gods before him. And the Philistines set it up again. And the next morning, God had decapitated him and cut off both of his arms. They were stacked up in the doorway. And there was a huge outbreak of a plague that erupted among their people. And so they quickly said, let's get rid of this thing. We thought this was all a symbol of the 
power of our God, it's done nothing but brought a curse. You see, they made the mistake, as I've already pointed out, of thinking their God had defeated Jehovah. It was not that their God defeated Jehovah. It was that God's people had lost their consecration. And so God was not under obligation to show up. He was not going to be anybody's good luck charm that you call at the 13th hour. You know what I mean? And so they sent it on down the road to Gath. And the long and short of it is the plague broke out there and then another city. And so they put it on a milk cart, a cart that was a new cart. And so they were trying to do their best to honor it. They didn't have a clue as to how you honor that thing, but they were now terrified of it. And they took two calves, new calves that were not very old, hitched them up to the cart because normally calves would run to their mother. And instead, the moment they let them go, they made a beeline right down the road and took off straight toward the nation of Israel. The closest city was Beshemesh. And so the men of Beshemesh saw it coming and they were glad the ark is back. The ark is back. But they made the mistake of not hallowing the protocols for handling the ark. They actually went and removed that lid right there. And so a plague broke out there. And they put it in the house of Abinadab. Just a quick rehearsal. And it remained there for 70 years. Now here's the tragedy. For 70 years. 70 years. Several generations of young Jewish men and women, Israeli boys and girls, were raised without the presence of God. You lose generations whenever they do not have a God to look up to. They've tried to remove God out of everything, schools, business, you know, legal systems, court, government. And the result has been that our nation is now caught up in a quagmire. We're in a mess because you need God. Can somebody in the building say amen? And now 70 years later, David, the shepherd boy, who who as a lad watched over his father's sheep and would sit on the hills of Judea strumming his harp and composing worship songs. Worship songs. This boy that had God in his heart from an early age. This young boy has now been elevated to become the king of Israel. And he's now the worshiping king. And he says, I want God's presence back. You may have learned to live without it, but something happened to me in those dark nights out on the hills. I can't live without God. I want to bring him to Mount Zion. And David, it was an 11 acre plot of ground that was called Mount Zion. It was a part of Mount Moriah. And David had already built his own house there. And he said, I want to I want to pitch a tent for this. And they built a new tent and constructed it. And David sent down to get the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God's presence from the house of Abinadab. And they put it on a new cart. Because you see, when you lose generations where there is no presence of God and there is no teaching of the Word of God, you forget important protocols as to how you approach God. And so David said, hmm, you know, times have changed. We're in a new day and age and technology's advanced and times have moved far and people know things they didn't know back then. We don't need the priest carrying that thing. And he said, give me a new car just like those Philistines had. And he made the mistake of copying their structure. And their protocols. And they put the ark on it. And as you know, I mentioned last week, when they got to the threshing floor, 
it's the ark stumbled. And Uzzah, meaning well, the son of Abinadab, where that ark had been for 70 years that he now viewed as just another piece of furniture. He had lost his reverence for it. Uzzah went out and put his hand on it to steady it and fell over dead. Dead. And David was angry and Israel was terrified. And so they put it in the first place that they had available. And that first place that they came to was the house of, Abin, uh, the house of Obed-Edom. And they placed it in his house and David wouldn't touch it. But he never gave up on the dream of having God's glory come back to the nation and elevating God to his rightful place. There are a number of unbelievably fascinating truths hidden in these stories and in these laws that regard the ark that have tremendous application to us today. There was a reason, for example, that flesh was not supposed to touch that box. You say, but Uzzah was doing the right thing. He didn't want it to fall and hit the ground. That is very noble on his part. But you see, that problem would never have occurred if they had followed God's design and plan from the beginning. But they ignored that. And so now they've got to implement a plan that is secondary. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? And so flesh was never supposed to touch that. The reason was simply this. Adam had fallen. And like the painting of Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican, where man is reaching up and God is reaching down, there is a gap between. Man could not quite reach up to God, and it took the coming of our Savior. You can't reach up to him, and that's why flesh could not touch the ark. Because the symbolism would have been broken and violated. And this was beyond man's reach, just as God's presence was beyond man's reach. And it took the coming of Jesus Christ to be both sacrifice and our high priest for us to have access and free availability to come to God now. The writer tells us in Hebrews 4 verse 14 and then 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Did you hear that? He passed through the heavens. He came to us. This verse now says that let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man could not reach him, but he reached out to us. That's why Uzzah could not touch the ark. It violated the truth, the theology behind the very nature of why Christ would come. And so tragically in our story, Uzzah dies. David had made the mistake of implementing the same program the Philistines had made. Now the ark is quickly shuttled off into a shelter that happens to be the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. When you look into that, it is so perplexing to see where they put the ark. It is an enigma. It is, it is oxymoronic. It is disturbing because when you look at the name Obed-Edom, the name means this, a servant or a worker of Edom who is a Gittite. 
Now you say, that still doesn't tell me very much, Pastor. So allow me to explain. It's important to understand what a Gittite is because a Gittite was a Philistine from Gath. That's what it literally means. Gath was the second city they had sent the ark to when the plague broke out. And here is a man who is living in Israel named Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And what his name literally means, Obed, means this. It means a servant, a worker from Edom, a worker of Edom. And it's important you see this, a worker of Edom, not a worker from Edom. One word can make a vital difference in the structure and understanding of what a sentence communicates. It did not say he was a worker from Edom. The name Obed-Edom means a servant or worker of Edom who is originally a Philistine from Gath. Does that blow your mind or what? That one of the very cities where the plague had erupted among the very people that had captured the ark, that had fought and opposed God. What this literally means is that Obed-Edom had been working in Gath, but he was originally from, had been working rather in, in, in Obed-Edom had originally been working in Edom, but he was originally from Gath. He was a Philistine. Uh, forgive me for fumbling that, but he was a Philistine that had been earning his livelihood in Edom and had relocated now to Israel. Now, there was peace between the Philistines and Israel at this point because the Philistines had backed away and said, there, God, we don't want to mess with those people right now because, man, we, we, we got in trouble the last time we did. Now, here's my point in calling your attention to this. Obed-Edom would have been very well informed as to what had happened on that battlefield at Ebenezer. His family was from Gath, one of the cities that had been affected. In all likelihood, the reason he's not living there right now is because his family fled when the plague broke out. You wouldn't have stayed. I wouldn't have stayed. Not if there's a place where we can go somewhere else and get away from this thing that's erupted among us. that's devastating our people. And he ends up in Israel. And it just so happens that on the road up to Mount Zion, when the incident occurs with Uzzah, there is Obed-Edom's house. And they quickly put that thing there. And Obed-Edom looks. He's, he's a Philistine from Gath. Remember that? And they're putting the ark in his house. And for the next three months, everything he does is blessed. Everything in his house is blessed. All his children are blessed. I wish I could hear an amen. Because you see, when the presence of God shows up, it changes everything in your life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The reason God could bless him is because he had something the Israelis had lost. He had a reverence for that thing right there. He had a reverence for the presence of God. And there's a word in this for somebody in this house today. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what your age is, your ethnicity, your tribe, where you were raised, where you spent the last 10 years, the kind of home you came out of. If you'll have a reverence for God, God will turn your life around. God will make a place for you. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. It doesn't matter where you went to school or what's in your 401k. If you can reverence God, God will bless you. God will turn your life into a state of blessedness. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. You'll have to forgive me while I pause for just a minute. Because I wasn't supposed to have him in my life. But he made a way when there was no way. I wasn't supposed to be raised around the presence of God. Uh, I shouldn't have access to this. You don't know the life I was living you don't know the mess I was in. You don't know where I came from. You don't know the lifestyle I was living at the time. Hooked on drugs, living in nightclubs. But one day God showed up in my life. And when he showed up in my life, I had sense enough to reverence him. <laughs> and do you know what he did? He turned my life around. I'm talking to somebody in this house right now that God can turn your life around. Oh, bless his name. Please forgive me, but I feel his presence in this house right now. I feel like there's somebody else here today. You know where God brought you from too. You know what he's done in your life. You know what he's done for your family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your marriage might be a mess. You may have... You may have screwed up your life to the degree you don't think you can be salvaged or anything in your life can be salvaged. But that's a lie. That's a lie from the devil. He can save from the uttermost to the guttermost. And I want to tell you, if you can reverence him. I'm not talking about this box. I'm talking about what it represents. God can bless you in ways you never thought you could ever be blessed. God can bless you so much that even the neighbors start talking about it. And they went and told David, David, did you hear what's happening in Obed Edom's house? Everything in his house is blessed. David never gave up on the dream to bring the glory of God back to Jerusalem. You see, several generations had grown up having church without God. Isn't it amazing that people can have church without God? Go through a motion, go through a ceremony. There's, there's a cry in, in our hearts that exists, I believe, in the heart of every human being for more than that. A cry that calls out for connection. It's that reaching up, Adam reaching to God. But you can't quite connect with him until he comes down to connect with you 
David was a worshiper. And others may have gotten used to having church without God, but not David. Mm-mm. He had spent too many nights by himself on those Judean hillsides composing worship songs. And he, you could have church without God, but not David. I want God back. I want God back. I want his presence back. I was so pleased this past Friday night. One of the questions that I asked in training was what is it about, I asked, give me 10 reasons, 10 reasons that you love Christian Tabernacle as your church because we had a committed cadre of several hundred people that were there that are ready to roll up their shirt sleeves and go to work. And, and I want to again thank every one of you that came. But people begin to give the reasons why this church is special to them. And one of the things they mentioned, it was because of the presence of God that is there in worship and in ministry. Don't want to have church without God. And that moved me because that is one of the guiding beacons that has led us during these years of pastoring here. That's true north for us. We'll never, never embrace anything else other than God being a part of what is happening. We're not going to get used to programs. No, we're not. And I want you to know that when we move to that new building, God is going to be there. And we're going to take the time to worship him. And we're going to take the time to teach his word. We don't need any new cards from the Philistines. No, sir. Uh-uh. Uh, we don't. We don't need that. We don't. We're, we're going to hold on to the word of God. Amen. David heard how much God had blessed Obed-Edom. He said, "I want to bring him back." Just yesterday, I'll just mention this because one of the dear ladies, and I, I don't want to. I'm not going to call her by name, but those of you who were here will know who it was. And she just made the comment in the the meeting yesterday. That she said, you know, I've searched this city looking for a church. I've gone from church to church to church trying to find a church where the presence of God was at. And she said, when I came here, I found what I had been looking for. And, and she just, she commented, she said, you don't know how many churches there are out there where God's presence is not at. I want to assure you with every breath that I have in me that that will always be of vital, of vital importance to, to the, this congregation and to its direction. And I know how others feel, Andrew and the others that will be coming up behind us and Tyler and that whole worship team. James, someday, Tracy, we won't always be around, but it blesses me when I see Vasti up here <laughs> because I know we're handing off the torch. It's not going to happen for another 40 or 50 years, but someday we're going to hand off the torch, but we're handing it off to people that have our values. <laughs> Forgive me. That was the year 992 to 993 B.C. It's of interest to note that the ark was literally moved seven different times. I could take you through all seven from the time that Israel landed in the promised land and, and they had peace and had taken over their promised land. There was first Bethel and Shiloh and then we could go on into the battlefield of Ebenezer and then on to uh, Asdad and then to Gath and then to Ekron and we, we could continue house of Abinadab and Obed-Edom and finally it makes its way to the 
place that David has prepared for it. The point that I want to make just very briefly is please do note that the glory of God moved, moved. Because again, that has been a concern expressed by a number of our congregation. And I'm so grateful you feel as strongly about it as, as I do. That box, when it moved, it carried God with it. It was the representation of the glory of God. And it signified that God was moving. When David moved the ark the second time, he was very careful to do it God's way. In the, in the time that the ark was... Uh, was at the house of Obed-Edom. The priest had come to David and said, you messed up, David. You're angry at God because Uzzah was killed, but it's really your fault that he died. And David is shocked and said, what do you mean it's my fault? He said, it's all about that Philistine cart, David. You tried to ignore the protocols of God, and you can't have God's blessing when you're living contrary to God's law. I wish I could hear a better amen. I want God to bless me, but I'm not going to give him my tithe. Uh, you're not going to get blessed. If you do get blessed, you're going to lose it all. Haven't you watched life long enough to figure that out by yourself without somebody needing to remind you? Amen. You don't honor God. It doesn't work out. It may look like it for a while. David, the psalmist said in Psalm 73, he said, I was envious at the prosperity of the wicked until I went to the house of God and then understood I therein. You can get your eyes on the wrong things if you're not careful. David said, this time we've got to do it right. The priest had got in his face and shook their finger and said, you should have consulted with us, David. We could have saved you this tragedy. Now, this is what you do, David. You see those poles on that ark? That's for us to carry. You can't touch this ark. It's holy. It's sacred. It contains the divine presence of God. And once again, thank you, Scott McKinney, for building this. Amen. But you can hold these poles, but you can't touch this box right here. Because you're touching the glory of God and, and flesh, unsanctified flesh is not permitted to touch the glory of God. And they said, this is what you do, David. We all go down together and you get the priests that were consecrated for this purpose to carry it. And so they went down. And when Solomon dedicated his temple, you will find there were three components that were also present when David went down the second time. And... Solomon employed these at the dedication of the temple, which tells me that when David went down the second time, he had determined to do it right, and he figured out the, the code, as it were, and he then passed that code on to Solomon. These were the three things that David did when he went and got the ark. They had extravagant worship. They had extraordinary sacrifice, and they had lots of fire. Amen. You don't want to approach the glory of God without lots of worship and extravagant sacrifice and lots of fire. Amen. And when you look back at the, the Old Testament tabernacle in the wilderness, actually those same three elements were present when Moses constructed the Ark of the Covenant and placed it in the tabernacle. The first thing is worship. They, they worship. David danced. <laughs> and buddy, did he ever more dance. He danced before the Lord with all his might. Do you know how far he danced? Eight and one half miles. Honey, that's a lot of dancing. Amen. When you're doing it with all your might, it's not just little. Uh, he's dancing, baby. I mean, he's got his shoes to move him. 
Amen. He danced himself out of his clothes until he only had, uh, the, the, as it were, the undergarment, which was permitted in that day among the lower class. But his wife, Michael, she looked out the window and despised him. Do you know there are people that can't stand worship? The reason that they can't stand it is because their daddy never raised them to be worshipers. And, and Saul was not a worshiper. His daughter never learned the value of it. And she's married to a worshiper. Amen. And I'm talking to people sometimes that have conflict in their own home because of things. Worship wars. Or worship wars between churches. And worship wars in denominations. I, I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. You say, well, who's right and who's wrong? Let me tell you something. Worship is not for you. It's for God. Amen. They had extravagant worship. David danced for eight and a half miles. They would go six paces, as I said, and they would stop and they would build an altar. The average length of an adult male stride is about two and one half feet. That's 15 feet for every six steps. The seventh step, they built an altar, which means that every 17 and a half feet, they were building an altar and offering a sacrifice. Do you get that? David offered a sacrifice every 17 and a half feet. Now, where Obed-Edom lived to Mount Zion, as I've already stated, was a distance of eight and a half miles. Mathematically, you can literally calculate how many times they stopped and offered sacrifices. They stopped at 2,992 different places on the way up to Mount Zion. I want you to know this. You don't go down to church. You go up to church. Amen. It was a directional thing. They had to climb Mount Zion. Oh, there's some climbing involved if you want to get to where this is at. There's some climbing involved if you want to experience the blessing and favor of God. David literally sacrificed every 17 and a half feet. How many feet have you gone since you offered a sacrifice? I've learned to not go very far in my life without offering God some kind of a sacrifice. Because you see, when you worship and you got sacrifice mixed in it, God honors it and smiles upon it. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? You say, well, are you preaching about money? I am not talking about money at all. A sacrifice of your time, a sacrifice of your day to read the word of God, a sacrifice of your Sunday to be in the house of God. You needn't go very far if you want God's blessing unless you stop and offer a sacrifice. You have to stop. Just this Friday night, one of the ladies there mentioned that she had visited my hometown of Lake Charles, Louisiana. And she said, Pastor, she said, I visited a church while I was there. And she said, are you related? She said, that young man looked a lot like you. His preaching mannerisms were like yours. And I immediately thought of a young man that was raised in a church I used to preach in often. And I called his name and she said, she pulled it up on the internet. She said, that's right. That's who it is. Said, I thought it was one of your relatives. And at first I told her, no, he's probably just because he's Cajun. He's got similar (laughs) mannerisms like I do. And she said, no, that wasn't it. And sure enough, it was a young man that I had thought of when she mentioned this incident. And he had been raised in one of the churches that I used to do a lot of ministry and preach revivals there at least and, and, and special services several times every year. 
And then she laughed and she said, but you know, some of my colleagues told me, you mean you went to church on your vacation? Listen, I'm not saying you got to do it every time you go down to Bermuda or go down to the Caymans, you hear, but you need to have God in your life regularly. Hello, somebody. And it doesn't even hurt when you're on vacation to pull up the podcast and see what's going on in the house of God that is your church family. Can I hear somebody in the house say amen? Better be some sacrifice. Amen. Every seventh step, they offered sacrifices. By offering a bull and a fatted calf, because that's what David did each time he stopped. That's 2,992 altars offering two animals each time. It means that David offered up to God 5,984 different animals as sacrifices and that eight and a half mile procession to the ark, up with the ark to Mount Zion. Later when Solomon dedicated the temple, listen to this, you think almost 6,000 animals is a lot? Solomon offered an incredible 142,000 animals as sacrifices. Solomon offered and sacrificed 22,000 bulls, 120,000 sheep and goats, because by the time you, you take the wool off a sheep, it's not much bigger than a goat. They would have basically the same amount of blood, which is an important point in just a minute. So I can lump all these animals together and only make a distinction between sheep and goats over here and bulls in terms of the volume of blood that was poured out, which we'll get to in a moment. But I, I won't tell you, that's a, that's a lot of barbecue, baby. Amen. That uh, would, would, would feed a bunch of people. They offered 142,000 animals as sacrifices. When you contrast that with the sacrifices offered when Moses dedicated the temple in number 7 and 88, it states the total number of animals given for the sacrificial offering were 24 oxen, 60 rams, 60 goats, 60 male lambs, uh, lambs a year old. This was to get, dedicate the altar and the tabernacle after it had been anointed. That's only 204 animals. So you go from Moses offering 204 animals to David offering right at 6,000 to Solomon offering 142,000 animals. You say, why did Moses offer so few? The answer to that is really simple. They've been slaves for over 400 years. They didn't have much. That was the best they could do. They didn't have a chance to build their flocks yet. So Israel went from sacrificing 204 animals to sacrificing almost 6,000 to sacrificing an unbelievable 142,000. To offer this large a sacrifice means that Israel had moved progressively during the years to a different level of abundance and ability. I want you to say two words, abundance and ability. Because you can have abundance but not have the ability, the right heart. Or you can have the right heart but not have the abundance. There's an important principle in this. You may only have so much you can sacrifice right now because your possessions are limited. But when you have an honor and reverence for God's presence, he will move you to a different level of abundance and ability. I need somebody to say, I'm moving to a different level. Would you do that? Not only that, your kids will get moved to a different level. 
what you're doing right now is going to affect your children. You being in the house of God this morning, you don't even know it, but you're impacting generations to come. When you sacrifice according to your ability, God will bless you with greater possessions and a greater ability that you can even give more and have more to give. Amen. A couple of things that I want to point out and then I'll conclude. The first is this. When you sacrifice more, he will reward you in a greater way by allowing you to see even more of his glory. We start out with the glory of the original tabernacle. Then we talk about the glory that came when David was king. And by the time we get to Solomon, the glory is so great, the priest cannot minister to the people. And so in answer to the question, will the glory move with us? The answer is this. It's going to be bigger there than it is here. Can somebody in the building say amen? Will the presence of God accompany us? It's going to be greater there than it is here. Will there still be an anointed word? It's going to be greater there than it is here. There's going to be a deeper revelation there than there is right here. When somebody stands behind the pulpit, they're going to step off into a dimension that's greater than what we are ministering in right now. When the worship team gets up there, there's going to be a flow of God's presence that's greater than what we were even experiencing a while ago. Can somebody in the building say hallelujah? And the other thing that I would call your attention to, and the reason I made note of it, about the difference in the apparent size of a sheep and a goat. The the sheep looks bigger, but it's got so much wool. It's not really that much larger. Pull it up on the dictionary, I'm sorry, on on, uh, Google, and you find out that a sheep and a goat have pretty much, there's a little difference, but not enough to to matter a whole lot. They have almost the same amount of blood. So the average bull has 10.3 gallons of blood in its body. That's 10 gallons and a, a, a pint and a third, roughly, okay? And the average sheep has about four gallons of blood, and that would be about the same in a goat. Now I want you to multiply that by the numbers here that we get. When Solomon sacrificed, he offered a river of 686,000 gallons of blood. Amen. That's an incredible 12,473 55-gallon barrels. I don't think you get the picture. 12,473 55-gallon barrels filled with blood. This entire building is not large enough to house all of the drums. Not nearly large enough. And you say, what does that mean? The blood represents your protection and your covering. The greater honor you have for him and his presence, the more effective his blood covering over you becomes. You're not hearing me yet. You see, the devil can't see through the blood. The devil can't find you when you're covered by the blood. He can't find your family when it's covered by the blood. Are there any old time saints in this place that remember when we used to plead the blood over a situation? When you cover it with the blood, the devil goes looking for it, but he can't find it. The more you honor God, the deeper in the blood you get. Somebody in the building, give him some praise right now.
Hallelujah. 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 Lord, do I feel his presence here today. I've got to wrap this up and I'm not done. We learn other amazing things as well. And I close my message by pointing out one of those. Astonishingly, though Obed-Edom was an enigma, he was oxymoronic in terms of what was required to be a priest in Israel and to be able to watch over the presence of God. Though he was a Philistine from Gath, when David moved the ark to Mount Zion in Jerusalem, you know what Obed-Edom did? He looked around his family and said, we're going too. We earned the right. We kept this thing for three months. You know how many boys he had in his lineage? They had 70. He was an old man. He had children and grandchildren. They had big families back then. He had 70 sons. And he said, we're going with it. You, you don't take this without us. Because we done got used to the blessing that has come upon this house. We are not going to live without his presence either. Thank you, sister, for what you said yesterday. I don't want to have church without the presence of God. But not only that, I don't want to live my life without the presence of God. Amen. It's not just about blessings. I've fallen in love with the presence. And in three months, Obed-Edom fell in love with the, the presence. And he said, David, we're going too. And do you know what they did? They literally had a ceremony where they ordained Obed-Edom and his sons into ministry and they became transplants in the tribe of Levi. I was raised with marsh mud between my toes. There's no way in the world I should be up here today, not where I came from, not the things I used to do. But when you fall in love with him, he will cause you to become a part of the inner circle of worshipers. You see, he is standing with his arms outstretched and wide open. Who am I talking to right now that doesn't think you could ever make the transition? Oh, yes, you can. You may be a Philistine. We may look up Philistine in the Bible and find your picture where the, there ought to be a definition. But if you will honor God, God will turn your life around. You can become a worshiper in the house of God Almighty. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? And for generation after generation after generation, because Obed-Edom reverenced the presence of God, his entire family was impacted. I'd like for you to come and join me, and I want to conclude with prayer today. Did you know that Psalm 68 was a psalms written for when they moved the ark? Did you know that? Many people don't know it. Psalms chapter 68, every time they put the ark on the priest's shoulders, they would sing the 68th Psalms. Are you listening? Because here's what that Psalm says. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. 
let those also who hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away so drive them away as wax melts before the fire so let the wicked perish at the presence of God but let the righteous be glad let them rejoice before God yea let them rejoice exceedingly how are you supposed to rejoice let me hear you how are you supposed to rejoice exceedingly sing to God sing praises to his name that's where the song that they sing that we sing here oftentimes actually comes from I'll sing praises to his name it comes from this right here praises to his name oh God sing praises to his name extol him who rides on the clouds by his name Yah and rejoice before him a father of the fatherless a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation God sets the solitary in families he brings out those who are bound say this with me he brings out Come on, say it again. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. Say it, into prosperity. I feel such a prophetic flow in this house right now. You may be bound right now, but God will bring you out. God will bring you out. 